there is something about politics right now that is just so explosive. And um, Dr. Baker, when he wrote uh, the sociopolitical character chapter of, of Man in the Trap, said that, that he was uh, challenging the third sacred cow, that, that the uh, two other sacred cows before that were sex and religion. And he said, this book was written and published in 1967. By then, sex was almost passe and religion was also, but um, uh, politics would stir people up more than anything else. And I think that was prophetic, that, that we've seen somehow people have put an, an incredible emotional charge, both rational and irrational, in, into politics. Welcome to the A Different Kind of Psychiatry podcast, brought to you by the ACO. I'm Dr. Chris Burrett. Each month, we feature a patient interview, case presentation, or interview or discussion with one or more of our doctors who practice a different kind of psychiatry. We are interested in your questions and comments, and I would love to hear your feedback. Send an email to aco at organomy.org. The best way to help the American College of Ergonomy spread its knowledge is by letting others know about us. If you enjoy the podcast, we'd appreciate you leaving a rating and review. If you're interested in attending one of our webinar presentations, you can meet the doctors and join in on the discussion afterwards. If you're interested in training with the ACO, you can learn more about the medical orgone therapy or social ergonomy training programs. You can connect with us and learn more at ergonomy.org. With the social and political divide that intensified in the U.S. after the 2016 election, doctors Peter A. Christ and Edward Chaska, two ACO psychiatrists, started a sociopolitical discussion group in February 2017. They wanted to give people an opportunity to look at varying social and political views in our country and in the world using principles from their therapy practices that would allow participants to discuss opposing views with an open mind and get to the heart of the problem. The two doctors taught the group basic principles about how people think and express themselves so that participants were then able to apply those precepts to working with others in the group, in other social and political situations, and in their personal lives. What follows is an interview conducted by an ACOPR consultant. This is Hilary Kale Christ, and I work with Public Relations for the American College of Ergonomy. I'm here today with Dr. Peter A. Christ, President of the American College of Ergonomy, and Dr. Edward Chaska, who is a medical ergonomist and member of the Board of Regents of the ACO. And we're here today because we're going to talk about the ACO's socio-political discussion group. So the first question that I have, since both of you are actually co-leaders of the group, I guess I'll start with Dr. Chaska. If you could just talk about, for those people who aren't aware, um, how this ACO socio-political discussion group began in the first place. Well, I think that we've been looking for a long time for a way to reach the public about social ergonomy and the subset of social ergonomy, which is sociopolitical ergonomy. And we've tried various formats. We've had public lectures, uh, interactive groups, 
And with the election of President Trump, we realized that uh, there was an opportunity to try a small discussion group to address uh, controversial topics, particularly because one of the things that alarmed us, and I think for, I speak for Dr. Christ as well as myself, is the increasing polarization in America and the seeming inability of people from both sides to speak with each other or, or sometimes even to coexist in the same organizations uh, was a frightening trend. And uh, we wanted a forum where we could discuss controversial social political uh, subjects from the perspective of social ergonomy and also as a laboratory uh, to see if we could uh, bring people together in a way that they could listen to each other. Um, Dr. Christ, could you talk about how you decided to um, have members of the group, you know, members uh, interested in this become part of the, the discussion group? And also if you wanted to weigh in on, on uh, the beginnings of it. Yeah, well. yeah, no, I'd be glad to weigh in on the beginnings because to me, it's actually quite uh, uh, specific. And the historian in me has, has these particular incidents so clearly in mind. So Dr. Chaska um, took on the task, uh, as he said, we've been trying for a long time to um, see how to reach out to the public about social ergonomy. So he taught the ACO's first uh, social ergonomy uh, course uh, from I think it was uh, 2014 to about 2015 uh, with uh, different ones of the ergonomists um, doing lectures based on chapters from Dr. Konya's book, Neither Left Nor Right. And after the election um, of 2016, it seemed like everybody uh, in, in the country on one side or the other sort of went crazy <laughs> was the feeling we had. And I had two patients, one who said to me, God, I wish we had Dr. Chaska's course going on now where there was a place to discuss this craziness that's going on politically. And another patient said, well, you know, Dr. Konya talked about neither left nor right. And I'm left wondering, well, if you're neither uh, left nor right, um, what would be uh, a, a healthy position? And I just stop for a second. I said, it would be being a functional citizen. And so I started writing a whole, um, what I called an, intro, uh, an introduction to being a functional citizen, just as part of what I thought was going to be our annual appeal letter. Well, it got longer and longer. Um, and so after those two patients said, God, I wish we had a place where we could talk about this stuff. Uh, the, the course that Dr. Chaska taught is over. And I said to myself, why not? Why not start a, um, a, a, just a discussion group where people would have a forum to talk about these things? And I contacted Dr. Chaska and he um, very excitedly said, great, let's do it. So it was kind of amazing from January when that first idea of 2017 uh, came up, we uh, um, invited people uh, who were known to us, who we didn't feel like would really go totally crazy in their discussions of political things um, that could 
at least attempt to have um, uh, genuine discussions ab about things. And so our first um, group was, was February of 2017. That's one of the fastest times that the ACO has seen a situation and opportunity and responded to it. And that became sort of our basis that, that the group would be by invitation only of people that we knew or people that, that one of the members of the social ergonomy committee recommended or another ergonomist recommended this person might be good to be involved. And that's been the, the, the way we started with the people that were included in the group. Dr. Chaskett, can you talk about what that first meeting was like for you? I don't remember it that clearly, but I can tell you some lessons I've learned from the first few. Oh, that's great. Yes. And that's that it's important to allow your emotional responses, but you have to take into account how that's going to affect other people. So we, we all have a character. We all have emotional responses. And yet, and, and we're all passionate uh, about the, the things that we believe, but it doesn't mean that you can't listen to or respond to or I think most importantly, find the truth in what somebody who uh, may be entirely opposed to your opinion, it, it, find the truth in what they have to say. One, one of the, my guiding principles has been uh, the idea of right and partly right, that, uh, that Reich has, uh, talked about in his uh, technique of of functional thinking. And that's that uh, the way Reich put it was, everyone is right in some way. If we're responding from our core, there is something right about what we're saying. It may come out through armoring, uh, which makes it very distorted. But when you uh, listen to someone, you have to hear uh, the core, the nature that's coming through, which is the truth, as well as to hear the distortions from the perceptual armor, because we all have it, we, we all have our bias. So that's been a lesson uh, slowly and, and painfully learned to me is, uh, you know, for me, it's easy to see the distortions in, in other people, but to learn to see the truth, even in the people who hold opposite uh, opinions. Dr. Chris, can you talk about um, some of the topics that were tackled and if, if any stand out in your mind as more uh, heated discussions than others? Um, well, be before I do that, I, I want to um, say something about how the whole group has run really from the very beginning. There's been um, a focus on content, which I would say is topics of discussion, as well as process. And, and Dr. Chesk and I are both, uh, I, I think, are absolutely on the, the same page about the importance of addressing both of those. So um, the early discussion groups, I don't remember the uh, specific topics as much as how much work we did on, on trying to uh, have people, as Dr. Chaska said, listen to each other um, and 
mean, I remember early on there was a, uh, some discussion of, uh, about the problem of immigration is one topic that I remember. But again, it's interesting that, that, that some people in the group wanted to have a specific topic to, to talk about. Others were uh, fine with having a sort of a more open, freewheeling um, process going on. But um, fairly early on, we, we started having um, a significant focus on just some didactic material. That, now, that became even more uh, pronounced after um, uh, the pandemic stopped uh, public uh, meetings at, at the college. So starting in the spring of 2020, all of our discussion groups have been uh, in an online format with um, uh, participants uh, as well as auditors uh, in uh, being able to just listen in on the, on the group. And once we were in that online format, um, I can remember actually more clearly because uh, I think we assigned more specific topics and also did a lot of work uh, from the very beginning, but especially then on looking at what is, as Dr. Chaska said, you know, Reich's approach of functional thinking. Well, what is functional thinking? And one of our members said, now, everybody talks about that, but I don't really know what that means. And, uh, you know, and, he, he said, well, I sure as hell don't have any practice at how to do it. And he said, I'm, I'm hoping this group will become basically a practice field for functional thinking. And I, I love that image that, that he had, that each of our meetings would be an opportunity for us to uh, practice an approach to functional thinking. And I'll just say one particular thing and then um, I'll see if there are other questions you had or that Dr. Chaska wanted to comment. But for some time, uh, I've been really uh, emphasizing both to myself and with other people, the importance of Reich's approach to uh, functional thinking, which is observe, observe, observe until a conclusion comes to you spontaneously rather than your conclusion being based on some preconception or some uh, idea coming from inside you. And that approach we've emphasized over and over in the group and uh, then realized to me in the social realm, well, to, to do that, it's important to differentiate observations from conclusions. And it's amazing how hard it is for all of us to just know wait a minute, that was a conclusion. It wasn't, you know, somebody might say, um, well, I, you know, I, I, I thought that that guy was irrational. Well, that's a conclusion. You know, what were the observations that made you conclude that? And some people might really think, well, I'm just observing he's irrational rather than being able to differentiate those two. And so then in the social realm and particularly the sociopolitical realm, I realized We've got to differentiate opinions from facts. And, and so that's been an ongoing um, part of, of the, the work in, in the group. So you know, then to go back to your specific question, uh, some of the topics, as I said, we got into immigration, we got into um, a discussion of um, uh, HR1 as a takeoff for um, the, the election bill as a takeoff for how do you try to take a functional approach to legislation? 
Uh, we had a um, one topic assigned a, a functional look at the Russia-Ukraine war. Uh, the last two sessions were on trying to take a functional look at, at abortion, just to name a few of the kinds of topics that we uh, specifically looked at. Dr. Uh, I have more to say about all that, but I'll give Dr. Chask a chance to. Oh, I, I'm sorry. Well, I, I also wanted to know, as you're talking about this, can you address what you would see as the political makeup of the group? Is it roughly half and half or not so much? Or I'm just curious what. Far more conservatives than liberals. Uh, and we've had discussion about that. How do we, do we want to try to have it half and half? Do we just let it run its its course and see who's interested in being there and doing the work. And I don't know that we've concluded that. I, I think that we want to encourage more people to become interested uh, and uh, perhaps apply initially to be, to audit the course uh, and see if we can broaden our base. Uh, but I think the important thing is that we all grow and to understand that the, there's a function to these preconceptions that we have uh, uh, and that the effect that they have is a way of not experiencing discomfort and anxiety. So an important part of this is learning to tolerate your anxiety uh, in hearing uh, 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 an opposed point of view and uh, not jump to conclusions or avoid conclusions as a way to uh, avoid anxiety. We, we try to distinguish between our natural responses and everyone has them and everyone makes conclusions from their uh, gut responses uh, but also distinguish when we are using those conclusions uh, as a way to shut down discussion and a way to shut down anxiety uh, rather than uh, to further a discussion. Yeah, Dr. Chris, could you talk about um, any like arcs of change that you've seen over the course of the years that the group has functioned? Yeah, absolutely. Um, there, uh, I, I want to also just um, underscore what Dr. Chaska said, um, that I think we started out the group with more people who would be consider themselves liberal um, than we've ended up with the group. We've lost a number of people who consider themselves liberal and and you know we have had to look at that because I, I think um, to me a, um, a, a healthy socio-political environment is where both sides clearly can bring the best of each um, view uh, to the picture and and come up with something better than, than what we started with so um, so that's one of the the arcs of, of the group. Um, but there, um, you know, there are a number of people who would in the group uh, still who consider themselves liberal. And one in particular 
who has really hung in there. And he and, and one of the other women in, in the group who takes a very strong conservative stance often end up uh, at loggerheads uh, with each other or particularly early in, in the group. Um, and and uh, we had to keep addressing um, the difficulty each had in listening to the, the, the other person. And I, I am really, really happy with how everybody in the group has really taken to finding a way to respect uh, a view that's different than their own. And in the last two groups, the, the woman who would often get um, into lock horns with the, the fellow who's um, liberal, um, the last two sessions, she, she said, you know, I think you might find out I actually agree with you more than you realize. And I thought, wow, we didn't even have to, to say anything. She saw it. She saw there was differences and saw that maybe there was a way for the two of them to, to just accept, okay, I see it differently. Maybe there's value in the other view. So, so that, you know, to me, that's, that, uh, that warms my heart to, to just see that kind of, uh, change in in the process of, of, of the group and a number of people have uh, have come back and said when I'm out talking with people I'm much more willing and able to just listen I mean a couple of the people in the group are um, also um, psychiatrists and they've said listening to my patients it's actually gotten easier to just hear someone with a different view and not immediately come to a conclusion about um, what that means. So, so um, that, that's amazing. That's wonderful. Yeah. Um, Dr. Chaska, do you have anything else to add about that, about what you've seen as the, the arc of, of the, the participation? And also, I'd like you both to talk about um, any changes you've seen in yourself uh, over the course of the years in this, you know, how, how people have reacted and, being able to listen to each other. Well, Dr. Chris put it well, that we've seen a tremendous amount of growth in people, uh, people on the left and, and on the right, being able to talk to each other, and also growth in the, uh, uh, Dr. Chris uh, talked about the difference between the people who wanna be very uh, fact-based and the people who are more open to looking at process and getting at, uh, particularly the, those who want to you know, stick to the facts, ma'am, uh, to start to look at the process as well. Uh, so it's another way that we've seen uh, growth, in, growth in the group. Uh, and, and personally, it, for me, it's, uh, it's been very valuable uh, to be able to listen as a conservative, it's uh, it's easy to jump to conclusions, but I found that the, the liberals are always right in some way, that they are particularly perceptive of the problem, uh, where we often will disagree is you know whether laws or government action is the way to solve those or uh, what's behind the problems. Uh, but I've come to appreciate uh, their sensitivity to social problems. 
Both of you talked about how the 2016 election was a catalyst for the group to start. And I'm just curious, was there any um, uh, reaction or what was the fallout from the 2020 election on the group? If we address that, um, that that's interesting. We have, yeah. I don't think we've addressed the, the 2020 election. Yeah, yeah, I, I, it's interesting. I, I, I think we never did, you know, really focus on that's interesting, um, Hillary, that you bring that up. And, and Dr. Cheskai, um, I mean, I think it was around that time that we had the discussion about uh, HR1. Uh, what is HR1? It, it was the uh, House resolution um, proposing major um, election changes mm -hmm. um, that the conservatives were very adamantly against, thinking that it, it, it was basically a gerrymandering uh, attempt to keep the Democrats in power. And the Democrats were very much uh, in favor of it, thinking it was making elections more fair, something like that. So we wanted to just look at that as how do you evaluate, um, you know, try to functionally evaluate whether um, a, a piece of legislation uh, has a functional basis to it, or is it just political, something like that. But I, I don't think we ever really focused on the 2020 election. I mean, that's interesting because there was such a, a large uh, portion of the country that felt the election was invalid. Yeah. And that's interesting that that's a topic that was not addressed by this group. Is that right? I think that's right. I, Dr. Chester, I, I don't think we ever directly addressed that, right? Yeah, I mean, when the saying that that the 2016 election was what uh, sort of prompted the development of the group, uh, it was more the polarization after that election is what right. I would say that really prompted uh, 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 the decision to have a discussion. To, uh, and um, since I'm talking to you now, Dr. Christ, what are your thoughts about the future for the group? Well, I would absolutely like to continue the group. I would like to see us um, bring in some more people. Um, and you know, as um, Dr. Casca said, I think we would do that by them contacting the college and, and expressing their interest. We, we would really want to evaluate those people because in, um, there is something about politics right now that is just so explosive. And um, Dr. Baker, when he wrote uh, the sociopolitical character chapter of, of Man in the Trap, said that that he was uh, challenging the third sacred cow, that, that the uh, two other sacred cows before that were sex and religion. And he said, this book was written and published in 1967. By then, sex was almost passe. And religion was also, but um, uh, politics would stir people up more than anything else. And I think that was prophetic, that, that we've seen somehow people have put an, an incredible emotional charge, both rational and irrational, in, into politics. And so I would like to see us continue to work on, on how to 
um, harness that passion that people have, but get it focused in a, in a productive, functional way. And it's you know it's been such a pleasure, Doctor Chester, working with you uh, in this group. It's just and uh, you as well. No, thank you. thank you. And I hope we can maintain the spontaneity that that we've had. You you mentioned how quickly this was uh, brought to to fruition. Yes. And I think that's in part because uh, we've maintained a, a very spontaneous approach. We we sit down and look what are people passionate about right now, and we've got our subject and a little bit of research and preparation, and we're ready to go. Yeah, yeah. The other thing that I would add to that is um, uh, when. Hillary, when you talked about the arc of the group, one thing that happened, um, it's a little more than a year ago now, I think, but o over the last year and a half, um, that, that people have brought up topics they wanted to uh, uh, have discussed in the group. And we have started a, a process, well, if you're interested in something, Maybe you could do some work. You know? <laughs> so we we've basically said, all right, if there's a topic you would like to have discussed, um, find an article or some piece that can be distributed to everybody. Write up a brief uh, summary about the topic you're interested in. And so there have been several of the sessions, starting probably about a year ago, where where we had the participant present um, that material as the takeoff for, for, for the discussion. And I think it's really um, brought people into this as a much more solid work group. And I, I wanna see that process continue uh, to, to really engage people uh, to do some work rather than just passively participate in a discussion. Dr. Chaska, um, can you talk a little bit about um... Uh, the process of bringing people in. First of all, how do people um, become auditors? Is it just something they respond to from an email blast or, or what? We, it's an invitation process, uh, but we invite people to apply to, to the American College of, of Organomy. And we will ask for uh, a certain amount of information about your interest and your uh, education and knowledge of uh, uh, social ergonomy. Uh, and the, uh, the, the number of spaces in the discussion group is very limited, but we also have an auditors group. And that yeah, I'd like to hear about that. So uh, if you have an interest, we encourage you to apply to the American College of Ergonomy. Uh, it may be uh, that we'll only have uh, uh, an auditor's uh, opening for you, but that would be a good way to be, become involved initially. And uh, as new as spots open up in the discussion group, occasionally then we can invite people from the auditor's group to join. Do the auditors have an opportunity to ask questions or do, are they just there to listen? They can submit questions through the... Uh, the chat function on mm -hmm. on Zoom, right? But they're not face to face with us interacting, right? Okay. 
Uh, but yeah. I would add one. Well, I would add one more thing about that. There are times where someone uh, asks a question, and we've been able to say, "Are you willing to join the, the participant group and and be on camera and actively participate?" And so, so we've been able to, you know, be spontaneous and and functional. A couple times where that's been extremely useful to do. someone raises a great question in the chat as an auditor, and we said, "Come on, let's come in, let's talk about it." So we've done that. Oh, yeah. That's great. That's Another great. aspect of social ergonomy is the concept of work democracy, uh, that people take responsibility for what they're uh, excited about and capable of doing. So if they're excited about a subject, put it together and present it to us. If we find somebody in, in the uh, auditors group uh, that is really functioning at a higher level, we bring them in uh, to the discussion. Uh, it's been another really gratifying part of this is the flexibility and the adaptation to let people do the work that they're capable of and excited about. And moving forward, do you think this will um, always be an online group? Uh, I don't know. When, once we're back at doing things in person at the college, there's nothing like being in person for this kind of discussion group. So whether we can work that out to do that in a hybrid way, that would be even a little more complicated technically. I don't know. Um, yeah. I hope we never cut off the, the online because I think it opens it to so many. We have uh, people from Europe yeah. who attend, people from the West Coast. Yeah. Uh, it, you know, it just opens it up to so many people that could never come over by buy a ticket and come over for this discussion. So mm -hmm. I hope we'll never close that door. Yeah. Uh, but perhaps, uh, uh, as Dr. Chris said, a hybrid group where we have an in-person discussion and a, and a broader uh, audience online. Okay. Yeah. I, and... I a couple of other things have just come to mind, if I can... Um take a bit more time to- Yes, I was just going that. to ask if there was anything you wanted to add ah, before okay. we uh, finished our discussion. <laughs> I'm anticipating your question. So we talk about liberal and, and conservative. And one of the things that um, is profoundly different about what the way we look at that as, as ergonomists is um, we're not just talking about someone's political beliefs. So um, Dr. Baker's, as I said, his chapter on sociopolitical character really introduced and systematized what Reich was already um, uh, thinking that there's a characterological basis for how um, people approach things uh, socially and politically. And so people develop either a liberal or a conservative sociopolitical character but their ideology may or may not match that. In fact, um, one of the people who came into the group uh, early on when we were meeting in person um, was not that familiar with ergonomy, but she read my um, handbook for functional citizen write-up that I'd given. And she said uh, to me, all of the descriptions, she said, I'm, I'm a conservative, but all the descriptions you gave for conservatives, I think are the ones that apply to liberals and the conservative ones apply to, the, the liberal ones apply to me. And I thought, 
okay, I think this woman is a sociopolitical liberal, but her ideology is conservative. And we see the opposite many times, that for whatever reason, there's been a tendency in the college, I think because Dr. Baker considered himself a conservative, for people to say, oh, somehow being conservative is healthier than being liberal. So there are a lot of people, I think, with a liberal character connected with the college and interested in ergonomy who have taken on a sociopolitical conservative ideology that's different from their, their liberal character. So that quality we're, we're aware of in, in, in this uh, discussion group, but it's, uh, it, it's an important thing. Um, that's why I, I don't like when people say he's a liberal or he's a conservative. He, he's a, a person with a liberal ideology, but let's look at how his character is and so forth. So. Then the other thing is taking that the, um, in terms of um, the effect this has, uh, this discussion reminded me, one of the ergonomists um, uh, treats one of the people in the group and he said, my patient has gotten so much clearer in his thinking since he's been in that group. Uh, it's, it's been mind blowing to see. And I've had the same experience with a couple of my patients in the group. It's like they, they're able to think and look at things much more clearly than they could before. And so it's, it, it, it's changed people, not just um, with ideas, but it's changed their basic way of approaching things. It's That's become a, a laboratory that we can look at and test the, the, social, the principles of social ergonomy and expand them. Yeah. We are, are learning things that have, have never been uh, seen or, or known before. Well, that's very exciting, and I think yes. that's a, a good uh, a good note to end on. So I, I want to thank you both uh, for joining me today, and I'm sure that there will be information about how people can get involved with the group and become auditors as a beginning step. And I thank you for your time. Thank you very much. For thank you for leading the discussion. Thank you. Thank you, Dr. Chesky. How do you feel after listening to this interview? What do you think? What comes to my mind is how lucky I am to be a medical ergonomist. In my therapy work with patients, I'm forced to listen. Every day I hear from my patients who are all over the map in terms of political ideology. So I'm forced to look at different perspectives on social and political problems with someone who knows I won't be confrontational with someone I have an enjoyable working relationship with. We are interested in your questions and comments, and I would love to hear your feedback. Send an email to aco at orgonomy.org. If you learned something or enjoyed the podcast, I hope you'll consider leaving a rating and review. The best way to help the ACO spread its knowledge is by letting others know about us. I hope you share this podcast with your friends and family and let them know about our work. You can connect with us at orgonomy.org. I'm Dr. Chris Burrett. Thank you for listening to the A Different Kind of Psychiatry podcast brought to you by the ACO. Since 1968, the psychiatrists affiliated with the American College of Orgonomy have been helping patients discover greater satisfaction, health, and overall well-being in their lives. 
Whether patients suffer with mental illness, struggle with addiction, or feel unsatisfied with their work lives or relationships, medical orgone therapy, as practiced by the physicians at the ACO, offers a way forward, often without the use of medication.